0: let's pray. Father God, thank you for dragging us here. (laughs) Sometimes out of places we might rather be at the moment, but Lord, you call us to, to hear from your word, to gather together as a family. And we thank you for this place and this opportunity you've given to us just to do that, to be together to hear from your word again. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit and through your word. If I say anything right, it's because of who you are and what you've done. We praise you. In Jesus Christ's name, we praise you. Amen. There's a lot in this book, isn't there? There's a lot. There's a lot in Scripture that is really nice to say, really nice to talk about, isn't there? Big ideas like, take up your cross and follow me. Men, lay down your life and love your wife. Love her just as Christ did the church. Speaking of love, love your enemies. Not just the people who love you. Love the ones who hate you. We find lots of ideals like this in Scripture, don't we? But have you ever felt like these these imperatives or these goals are too lofty for us. They're, 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 they're good to strive for, but really, who can do it? Who can do it? Well, in tonight's passage, Paul says to us, you know how I said, so if there's any encouragement in Christ... Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know how I said that to you? You may have thought I was asking the impossible of you. But right here, here's my son Timothy. He's been there. He's done that. He's lived it. And you know how I mentioned to you having the same mind as Christ who humbled himself even to death? Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, I I put that out there as something for you to be like, to, to take as your example, You may think that having the mind of Christ is too lofty a goal to to put your life on the line for the sake of Christ and others. But right here, here's my brother, Epaphroditus. He's been there. He has done that. He has lived it. Tonight we're going to see two examples from Paul. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Living paradigms of how we should live as Christians. It's one thing to to speak of these great lofty things and then to give metaphors or or object lessons to speak on some ethereal or or existential plane or, or, or that do as I say not as I do because I can't live up to it kind of a thing. And it's something entirely different to show these things being done in real life by real people and say, look, it can be done. You may think these ideals are impossible to reach or are simply lofty notions. But here are two Christian men who have lived out their faith and they should be honored for it. They are examples to the rest of us. That these ideals are not lofty. They're what we should be living. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 19. Why don't you go ahead and stand up for the reading of God's word. Chapter 2, verse 19 of Philippians, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon I am the more eager to send him therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you. In the last words of that passage, Paul says, honor such men. Value them. Hold them in high esteem. The ones you see these kind of qualities in, these Christ-like qualities, bring them out front to be recognized. Let them be an example to everyone, not because this is what they are seeking for themselves, but because their way of life reflects the example of Christ to us. Their walk is real. It's not just something they say, it's something they live out. Honor them because they are really doing what God has called us all to do. They are living out the Christian life without reluctance. Giving of themselves so that others can be blessed. Paul is telling us there are Christian Christian qualities in these men that that we we should all look at and say, I need to be there. I need to strive for that. I need to walk in that way. So right now, let me do just that. Let me honor someone. Alan Rogers, are you here? You are the personification of encouragement. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I really, honestly appreciate you. This is his last night with us, by the way. He's moving. I appreciate the Christian qualities that you have expressed to me personally. Here in our passage today, Timothy is Paul's example of putting others before himself. Just as Paul had called the Philippians all to do in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 that I read earlier. Timothy was genuinely concerned for their welfare and uniquely so. Verses 20 and 21, it says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you, you can see in the way that Paul says that, even, it shouldn't be this way, guys. I have nobody like him. They're all concerned for their own welfare, but it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be unique, and and we can see that it is possible to be done Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, that like mindedness, that doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, in humility, counting others more significant than themselves, looking not to their own interests, but the interests of others, we can see that it's possible to be lived out in Timothy himself. And Paul says, Look, here's Timothy. He's doing it. He is living it. He has lived it. He is living it. He has been proven. Verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy has suffered alongside Paul in serving the gospel. He has put the interests of Christ ahead of his own personal interests in life. The things he could be accomplishing, the things he could be doing on this earth. He's given those up for the sake of others. He has a genuine, heartfelt Love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. It can be done. Here's Timothy. Are we putting the interests of others ahead of our own? That's the question that this all posits to us, isn't it? If this is what God has called us to, and here's somebody who actually has lived it out, are we then living it out ourselves? Do we have a genuine concern for those in our church family? And for those who still need to hear and accept the gospel message? A concern for them that then puts their interests, their needs, ahead of our own. Yes, maybe I have 12 things I need to get done today, but this person needs help, or or that person needs to hear the gospel. They need eternal life. They need five minutes of my time. Can I give that up to present the gospel to them? Because if today ends, and I'm in heaven, where will they be? Not, not because it's a religious duty that we have to do, but because it's a genuine concern on our hearts for the people who walk through these doors, the people who are in our lives, in our families, in our soil, in that sphere of influence lives that we have. Do we have a genuine heartfelt concern for our co-workers? This is a heart issue, isn't it? But as, as hard as heart issues are to grasp and get a hold of. We like things we can touch and fix with our hands, right? We can see it done over there. But a heart issue is a little harder to grasp. It's a little harder to look at. Uh, But as hard as heart issues are to grasp, they can be changed. People's hearts can change. And they change with practice. Chapter 2 again, but verses... For it is God working in us by His Spirit through the things that He's given us to do to change our hearts. God is working in us by His Spirit through His Word as we read it, study it, learn it, store it in our hearts and minds through prayer as we lay ourselves, our hearts out before God and we spend time communing with Him and, and giving others to Him, as we fellowship with those who will build us up in our walk with Him. These are all tools given to us by God that He might continue to work in us, to change our hearts, to affect that, that metamorphosis in us that He expects. That we wouldn't be conformed to the image of this world, but we would be transformed in our knowledge of Him, our understanding of Christ. To will for His good pleasure. That that our will would reflect His will. That our hearts would be aligned with His own. To work for His good pleasure. That our actions would reflect His actions, his desires, those good things that he had established for us to walk in these ways since our salvation. How readily, how regularly, how steadily are we using these tools that God has given us to refine us, that we might become a bit more like Timothy or Epaphroditus or Paul, or or better yet, Jesus as our perfect example. Am I spending time in God's Word? Listening to its conviction and and not letting it just kind of roll off my heart, but letting it go from my ears to my mind to my heart and then out into my life. Putting what I read into action. Testing myself in it. Maybe I won't do it perfectly at first, but it takes a step. It takes a step out to do these things. Maybe I won't do it perfectly at first, but isn't that what proving and practice does? Just as Timothy was proven, he had proven worth that everybody could see because he stepped out and he practiced what God had called him to do in Christ Jesus. Proving removes the dross from the silver or gold. It purifies it. It makes it better. I'm sure you've all heard the example of the refiner who will sit there with the silver over the heat, and they will refine it, and they will prove it until the the refiner can then see his image reflected back to him in that silver, and it shows him that then it is pure as it reflects like a mirror back to him, and the dross is gone. It doesn't happen right away. It takes time. It takes the heat, the hardship, the refining of the silver to make these things happen in our lives. This is God's intention for us, that we too would be proven, that we would be refined. And so God allows the difficult people in our lives. Will we still put their interests before our own? Will we still love them the same way that Jesus Christ had loved us when we were the difficult people? And frankly, some of us still are. (laughs) So God allows the hard times to conform us to the image of his Son, to refine us. Am I spending time in God's Word that I might be refined as I live it out? What what does my prayer time reflect? Do I practice praying for others, putting their interests before my own, or is my prayer time more about me, my needs and my desires? Am I reflecting God's will? Am I trying to reflect God's will in my prayer time? Or am I still praying in my own will, trying to get God to do all that I desire Him to do? The more I practice the more I work out my salvation, the more I practice putting God's will and the needs of others above my own, the more it will become a part of who I am. The more we do anything, the more it becomes a part of who we are, right? They say it takes three times to make a habit, right? It's easy to create bad habits, a lot harder to create good habits. We need to step out and practice, and be refined in the good habits. The more I pray for others, the more I think upon their needs, the more I lift them up to the Lord, the more I will love them, and the more concern I will express for them, the more I will remember them as I run into them at church, or in small groups, or wherever I might run into them, and I'll ask them, how is that going? I've been praying for you. Practice it. What does our fellowship look like? Am I taking time to spend time with other people who care about other people? Because those are the kinds of people who are going to get me to care about other people, aren't they? Am I putting God's love for His people into practice in my own life one person at a time? Just taking one person and caring about them. You don't have to care about everybody, I know. It's not possible, really care about everybody in your church family all at once. But take somebody, care about them, show them concern, put their interests before your own. One person at a time, practicing bearing one another's burdens. This goal of having a genuine concern for people, it's not lofty. We just need to practice it. We just need to be proven like Timothy was. We need to work out. We need to exercise our salvation. We will never know the joy of living for Jesus Christ if we never practice living for Jesus Christ. Epaphroditus is Paul's example of laying down our lives for the sake of the gospel And for the sake of the church, the work of Christ, he mentions that in chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, how Christ laid down his life. Paul describes Epaphroditus as a fellow worker and soldier. He says, verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. What does a worker do? Works. Works for somebody else, right? A worker does what their employer tells them to do, right? A soldier does what is necessary to obey the orders of their commanders, right? Paul tells Timothy in Second Timothy chapter 2, he says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Epaphroditus was a worker and a soldier for Christ. He had a, a focus on the will of God. Recognizing how God's will would be fulfilled by serving others, he sets to the task... Whatever the personal cost might be, he sets himself to the task. He knows what needs to be done, so he steps out and he does it. And there's no denying that behaving in this way, living in the same way as Christ's example for us, laying down our lives for Christ, that that this has a personal cost. In this passage, four times we see Paul talking about things like in verse 19, he says th- that he needs to be cheered. He wants to be cheered by news of them. In verse 26, he talks about distress. I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. And oh, verse 26, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because he heard that you you heard that he was ill. Epaphroditus was distressed. In verse 27, Paul talks about having sorrow upon sorrow. In verse 28, he talks about anxiety. These things are a real part of the Christian life. It is not an easy life to live. But we need to remember that whatever the cost might be now whatever the hardships might be now, whatever we pay in service of Christ and the gospel, we will be rewarded in heaven. There is a life beyond life, and it is eternal. This life is a flash in the pan. But the eternal life that God gives us, that he promises us in the resurrection of Christ, that hope that we have, it will be forever. Colossians. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Who is your employer? Is it God? is that whom we seek to serve, we strive to serve, we see ourselves as serving the Lord. If it is God, would I be fired or honored? If my job description tested me by my loving concern for others, my providing for the needs of others above my own, putting the interests of others before my own, Willingly giving our hearts, our minds, our very lives to the will of God. If these were the things that we were tested by, would I still have a job? The answer is no. I got to rethink how I'm living. But this is hard. These things are too lofty, right? Why do these men, why does Timothy, why does Epaphroditus live this way? Did you notice... There's two important words. One in verse 22 and one in verse 25. Verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. A son with a father. Verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother. Timothy the son. Epaphroditus, the brother. Our our love for one another, Our, our relationship with one another in Christ Jesus, it goes beyond a casual acquaintance. And it should be far deeper than co-workers or schoolmates. It's a family. In Christ Jesus his spirit living in us, we are brought together as a family. You are my brothers and sisters. I love you, and I need to love you as brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers. We may not be physically related until you look all the way back to Adam and Eve. Which in a way you could say, yeah, we are physically related, huh? But we're related much closer than that. We share in the Spirit of God. This language of son and brother reflects an understanding of the fact that we have been adopted into the family of God through the heavy and invaluable price of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 9 through 12, it says, We see Him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Because of what Christ has done, tasting death for all of us, we are a family. And a family puts one another's needs before themselves, don't they? Parents put their children's needs before their own. Yeah, I could get the jet ski or I could feed my children. I feed my children, right? That's what a family does. And if we start seeing each other a little more as family and a little less as that guy or that person over there, maybe it'll be a little easier to live out life as we're called to, like Timothy and Epaphroditus. This knowledge of our union in Christ, our our comprehension of the body that we are, our participation in the Spirit, should draw us together in a bond that causes us to see one another differently, to see one another as Jesus sees us, with the same empathy and the same love. Is this way of life extreme? Christians have recently latched onto a lot of these kinds of words like radical faith and crazy love and reckless. These kinds of... Have you heard those kinds of things out there in music and in, in books and things like that? And, and I get what they're trying to do, but I think these kind of terms let us off the hook a little bit, right? Because the extreme is for those who are gifted in that way. I can leave the extreme to those who are capable of doing it. But normal people, normal people don't do those kinds of things, right? Who can live up to what Paul has called us to? Who can live up to the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus? We can. If we see each other as a family and we practice loving one another, it'll become more a part of who we are. It'll start to come out naturally. Maybe the first step will have to be forced. Force it. As you become comfortable with it, we start loving each other, growing closer together as a family in Christ. Christians are not normal people. We have the Spirit of God living in us. That's not normal. Paul is not asking us to do the impossible, just to reach beyond ourselves. To touch the life of another for the sake of Christ. To seek the will of God in our lives for the benefit of those around us. We need to put our faith into practice. We need to allow God to work in us so that we work out our faith for His will and His ways. That we will become proven as Timothy was proven, and honored as Epaphroditus was honored. Not just metaphors or analogies or good stories. They were living paradigms to show us what God is asking of us. We can do it. Maybe not perfectly at first, but with practice we can become all that God has caused us to be, conformed to the image of His Son, refined, sanctified as we live this life, finished on the day of Christ Jesus. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's live it. Father God, we praise you for your loving grace, mercy, kindness, empathy, all of these things that we don't deserve, and yet you've given them to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. He, as our, our premier, our perfect example, and yet, Lord, you've given us other men on this earth, other women on this earth, that we would see them and say, that's a Christian. I need to live like that. Father God, give us Again, a strength we don't have in ourselves. We praise you for your spirit that abides in us, that that gives us eyes to see and hearts to to understand what others are going through, to put their interests before our own. Lord, I pray that we would begin to do just that, that this church family would be set apart from the world, that as people walk in here, they would see a love that is unnatural, that is supernatural, that is Christ-centered as we just let that love pour out upon each other, putting one another's interests before our own. Father God, help us to do just these things, we pray, all in Christ's name, amen.